Matthew chapter 28 and uh, verses 18 through 20, we have the marching orders for the New Testament church given by the Lord right before he sent it into heaven. 18th verse of Matthew 28 says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. That has the context of disciple, Christianize all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, which is discipleship. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And uh, as we're approaching the mission conference, it's important to look at that little word, lo, as a command. It's, uh, it's saying, behold, understand, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. But we've been looking at the discipleship part of this in verse 20, where he says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And what we've been doing is we've been going through the Gospels and we've been noting verses that are in imperative mood, which are commands of the Lord. Very, very fascinating, very convicting to know that these commands came from the creator of the world from the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, that what he says is not optional, they're absolutely unnecessary. And so we're on the seventh command, we've already saw repent and believe the gospel. And then just two verses after that, he said, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. Then he said, rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven when he's talking about persecution. Then he reminds us to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. And then he talked about the law, the command, think not, was the, the command that I'm come to destroy the law. Last week we talked about being reconciled. And today, if you'll turn with me back to the fifth chapter, we'll find two commands. Uh, we're not going to list them as separate because they're very much the same. But Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 27, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I send to you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. If thy right hand offend thee, pluck it out. And if the right eye offend thee, pluck it out, and cast it from thee. For it is probable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not find the whole body should be cast into heaven into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that the whole body should be cast into hell. It has been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say to you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, caused her to commit adultery. 
and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. And so it's interesting when we look at this, the command is not don't commit adultery of this passage. But the, the command, the, those, the, that which is said, which is in the imperative, are found in verses 29 and 30. And the command in the imperative is pluck it out and to cut it off. It's the only, it's the only imperative in this passage. And so that's important, and we'll and we'll look at it. But let's, uh, as we've done before, we've considered what does it say, what are some verses surrounding it, and then the crisis uh, is calling us to obey a command. First of all, in verse. Uh, 28 I send to you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust and so uh, the, I think it's important to to emphasize this whether you're president or king a pauper man or a woman to look is to it with lust is to commit a sin there's no exception clause here no one has the right uh, no one is overlooked and then he says looketh on a woman when the word looketh it's in the present tense not past tense, not future tense, but present tense. And the present tense has the idea of continually. It has the idea that, that uh, it goes beyond. That, that what, becomes, uh, what becomes a glance, you see someone at a glance, they may walk in front of you, by you, what becomes a glance turns into a gaze. We can't help what we see by a glance. I can't uh, go into town the other day, uh, going down a slower street and, and uh, in parking lots of stores. You can't help what walks in front of you and what amount of body is unclothed. But you can help what you gaze at. And so it's important to see the words to lust after. It goes beyond just seeing um, someone in a state of undress. To lust after. If you go over with uh, me to Second Peter, chapter two, it uses some strong language about adultery. Second Peter, chapter two, and verse fourteen. He's speaking about here 
about false prophets, but much of it applies to all of our society today. And he says in verse 14, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and have gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity, and dumb as speaketh with a man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. Well, he's talking about these, uh, um, let me see how far I want to read. Yeah, I've already passed it. But he it says that their eyes are full of adultery. And um, we know that to be true of false prophets. Some of these guys outdate you, uh, a lot of you. But there was a guy named Jimmy Swaggart, Pentecostal, a heretic, a false prophet. And it evidenced himself in his sexual activity. There's a big church movement called Hillsong, and uh, their leader just a couple years ago was found out to be an adulterer. Ted Haggard, Jim Baker, and even uh, the guy who was very popular when I was uh, in, in Bible college, uh, Basic Youth Conflict is what he had, and, and, and now it's a program called Basic Life Principles by Bill Gothard. And, uh, and so what has become, you know, the definition and the, and the uh, des- description of false prophets has become for many uh, an everyday way of life even though they're not religious at all, no false prophets, having eyes full of adultery. You can see it on the job. You can see it every place. We ought to be like Job. If you go back to the book of Job, in Job, the 31st chapter, And verse 1, I made a covenant. And that word covenant is a very weighty word. It's very solemn. It's a binding agreement in old times. I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? And when, the, when he says think there, it's a, it has the context of gaze. Again, not just a casual glance, but a careful, diligent consideration to look, to pay close attention. It's to, it's to have your eyes rest upon them. And so it's kind of like the uh, old, old saying or the old story, you can't stop a bird from landing on your head, but you can stop it from building a nest there. And you can't always prevent what your eyes see. It just is there. 
but you don't have to gaze upon it. You don't have to let it build a nest upon your head. And then back again to Matthew chapter 5. And he says there in verse 28, But I shall say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now I think that we need to understand that uh, adultery and adultery in the heart are not the same. I don't know necessarily if you can weigh any sin, but you see, there has been some that would take this and say, well, I've already committed adultery in my heart, so why shouldn't I just go ahead and do it physically? This is not any excuse for uh, physical adultery, but this is, this is simply pointing out that the problem with sin and problem with this sin of adultery is a heart problem. It's out of the heart it proceeds. And, and so the Lord is not even dealing so much with the gaze and the glance, but he's dealing with the heart that allows the gaze to take place. And, and so adultery is a, is a very much a heart a problem. And then he says there uh, in verse 29, that word offend. Uh, if I write, I offend thee. It means to entice the sins. It's a word that means a stumbling block. And so if, if my eye or my hand causes me to stumble, then he says something very, very uh, strong here. And this is where I said are the imperatives, the commands of this verse. Pluck it out and cut it off. It's a command from our Lord. It's a command that's urgent. It says do it now. Don't delay. And so how do we deal with this? Well, uh, Jesus is not calling for self-mutilation, but he's calling for self-control. And temperance is part of the fruit of the Spirit. And so he's calling for drastic action where your life and your intertwining of society would cause you to stumble. And so that may be you need to cut off some friends, you need to eliminate them out of your life. The conversation that takes place at the coffee uh, distributor at work, that the lunch break. You may need to quit going to certain uh, Areas where you would partake of food and, and uh, bars and different things. It may mean that you need to cancel internet services. It may mean that you need to refuse to watch certain m movies. And so 
whatever is causing us and stirring us to lust needs to be dealt with. Again, if you go to Matthew 15, 19, we've already mentioned this, but let me point it out to you. Matthew 15, 19, For out of the heart perceive evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemy. And so it is a, it is a heart problem. To look upon another is defined here with lust. Not just to look at someone, but to look upon another with lust. To read pornographic literature and see pornographic images is not only to and fantasize in your mind. It's not only sick, but it's sin. And so we see the strong, the strong language pluck it out cut it off very very strong language and very very uh, critical to think about you know that I would cut my hand off because my hands causing me to steal well really your hands not causing you to steal but your heart's causing you to steal but he's saying stop it take control of your life you can say no that sin doesn't have to reign in your body. And he's saying it's more serious. It's so serious that if you don't deal with this as a lost person, that it can end in eternal damnation. And then what we're going to spend more of our time, in verse 31, he goes beyond just looking with lust, committing adultery, but he goes beyond and he, and he shocks them, shocks the world of religion. And I think when you get over to chapter 19, you're going to see it even shocked the disciples because they, they say, well, it's best not to even get married. But he says there, in verse 31, it hath been said, Whoso shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whoso shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery. And whoso shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Now there's, there's two phrases it's going to take two weeks to look at. But in the society that we live in, and the fact that independent Baptist churches uh, overlook this passage and in getting into it, um, we need to discuss it. We need to understand what is what is this a writing of divorcement I 
And then the second thing we're going to have to get a hold on, saving for the cause of fornication. We're just going to look at this one today. The writing of divorcement. Let me, uh, let me get ahead of this a little bit into next week's uh, passage. But uh, this is called, the, except for the cause of fornication, Saving for the cause. This is called the exception clause. The clause that allows for divorce. Now, it's interesting when you study the Bible. Mark, Luke, and John, and 1 Corinthians, it deals with this. There's no exception clause. There's no clause saying except for the cause of fornication. And um, that would cause me to ask, what if we had a Bible and we found this Bible and part of it was missing And the whole chapters 19 and verse and chapter five of Matthew weren't in it. Could we teach on divorce and remarriage? Mark says to divorce and remarry is sin, period. No exception clause. If we didn't have Matthew chapter five and Matthew Chapter 19, could we teach on divorce and remarriage? Well, we do have Matthew chapter 5. And we do have Matthew chapter 19. And we do have a Bible that was written and inspired by God. And we do have a Bible because it's God is his author, it doesn't conflict. Doesn't conflict. And so however we teach this, we're going to have to <laughs> make sure that it doesn't deny what Scripture says other places. And so we want to look at this matter of the writing of divorcement. He says there, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. They were going back to Deuteronomy chapter 24, 
Let's go back to Deuteronomy 24. Now we're going to look at this again uh, just a little bit later in the lesson. But when the scribes and the Pharisees dealt with divorce, they go back to Deuteronomy 24, and we're going to look at this. But when we get over to chapter 19, the Lord doesn't begin in Deuteronomy 24. The Lord begins in Genesis. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And so let's see what it says in Deuteronomy 24. When a man had taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he had found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and send her out of his house. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her and write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and send her out of his house, or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she is defiled. That is an abomination before the Lord. And thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. Things about Deuteronomy you have to think about is when it says here in verse 1, when a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it came to pass that she find no favor in his eyes because he hath found some uncleanness. He's found some uncleanness in her. Well, what is that? Uncleanness. I don't know if that's got two ends or not. Uncleanness. Well, there's two, there's two schools of rabbis in Jesus' day. There was a school of Shammai. And there was the school of Hilel. The prominent rabbis that following. Semi said that uncleanness is, is unchastity. Sexual sin. And it said, oh, the, one of the rabbis said, let a wife be as mischievous as the wife of Ahab. Who was the wife of Ahab? Jezebel. Jezebel. 
and says, let, let a wife be as bad as Jezebel in her mischievousness. She cannot be divorced except for adultery. And so she's pretty bad. So the school of Shammai, there was no possible ground for divorce except for unchastity. Now, Hylil defined some indecency, some uncleanness in the widest possible way. They said that it meant that a man could divorce his wife if she spoiled his dinner by putting too much salt in his food. What's the salt, ladies? They said they, they could divorce his wife for uncleanness if she went in the public with her head uncovered. That he could divorce his wife for uncleanness if she talked with men in the street. If she was a brawling woman. If she spoke disrespectfully to her husband's parents in his presence. If she was troublesome or quarrelsome. Rabbi Akaba said, the phrase meant, if she find no favor in his sight, could mean that a man might divorce his wife if he found a woman whom he considered to be more attractive than she. So, our society is in the school of Halil. But let me say to you that Deuteronomy chapter 24, though it seems to be shocking that Moses would grant a bill of divorcement, it actually, Deuteronomy chapter 24, actually was given, the writing of divorcement was given to discourage divorce. Because the writing of divorcement was public. It's going to go into the legal system. It took some initiative. It took some, some the bill of divorcement took some uh, work. And then, not only is it public, but... It, once, once you give the bill of divorcement, there absolutely is no reconciliation. Look there at verse 4 again. He says in verse 4, Her former husband would send her away, may not take her again to be his wife. And so before you just jump up and you've just had a spat and, you know, she's displeasing to you and she talked to your parents in a bad way. You better make sure that you're sure about this because you cannot legally go back and marry her again. It's forbidden, strictly forbidden. And so they're making divorce just as hard as they can, just as strict and narrow as possible. And so they need to think through it. And then we'll get over here to 
Matthew 19. Matthew 19. And verse 8. Let's begin in verse 3. And the Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? So this is the Hilel question, if I'm pronouncing that right. Hilel. What causes? What's right for divorcement? What's the cause? What could be the cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. You see, Jesus wasn't going to let them set at Deuteronomy 24. He's going to go back to God's original intention that they should cleave unto each other. They shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. And then he says, what? Therefore, God has joined together. Let not man put asunder. So he says, you're trying to talk to me about the cause, you know, some reason to divorce your wife. Let me tell you what God's original design was. One man for one woman, uh, one man for one woman for life. Then say unto him, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement to put her away? So they had him. And he said unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I said unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife except for fornication and shall marry another committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. And so he allowed it because of the hardness of his heart. Well, let me say to you, to justify divorce because my heart is hardened is, uh, is folly to the greatest degree. Proverbs says, Happy is the man that feareth always, but he that hardeneth his heart sh shall fall into mischief. Proverbs 28 says, He that being often reproved and hard of his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Also, those who read Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, didn't like to go on down and read Deuteronomy, or back up and read Deuteronomy 22. Deuteronomy 22, and we're going to look at verse 28. But you see, uh, a common a common uh, situation that people deal with and counselors deal with. Well, you know, we were just teenagers. We were very young. We got married. We got pregnant. Some, we got pregnant before we was married. And we just messed up. 
and we're very young, and it just wasn't meant to be. So I want a writing of divorcement. Moses said that he could have a writing of divorcement. But look what it says here in Deuteronomy 22, 28. If a man find a damsel that is a virgin, which is not betrothed, and lay hold on her, and lie with her, and they be found, then the man that lay with her shall give unto the damsel's father fifty shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife, because he hath humbled her. He may not put her away all his days. That throws that excuse out the door. You know, passion overtook us. We committed fornication. And, uh, you know, we're just too young and too crazy and too wild. And he said, no. Uh, you're going to get married, and you're going to be married the rest of your life. Which, you know, which says this, and this is a little rabbit trail, and unless you guys don't want to follow me down these rabbit trails, that's okay. You can go chase, you can go chase bigger stuff. But that tells me this, that uh, the love may not be there at the beginning. Lust is there. But if you're going to be you're required to be married all the days of your life because you committed this act, that love is something that grows with time. He's not saying here, you know, you're going to have to live with this girl that you that you committed fornication with the rest of your life, whether you like it or not. He said, no, listen, you messed up. Now go make something of your life. And God will honor that. And God will enable you to love. And so, this writing of divorcement, Jesus just threw it out the door. He said, yeah, Moses allowed the writing of divorcement because you guys were hard-hearted and you were going to leave your wife or, you, you know, you're going to, you're going to just run off. And, and, but no, we're going to do this at least legally and it's, going, and it's given to discourage you from getting divorced because this is going to be a matter that's going to take some time. It's going to be public. It's going to have to go into the uh, legal system. And you know, you understand that this is not just you getting upset one point in time and then later on you're going to fall back in love with that person and you want to bring her back into your home because, you know, it happened once, it could happen again. He said, no, 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 no. It's over. That this decision... Is over. And so now we come to the crisis. And next week, uh, next week we're going to get into this. What is, except for the cause of fornication, and just let me give you a little hint here before next week. Fornication is a word that can be used, and you need to see it in its context, it can be used for all matter of sexual sin. But when fornication and adultery is mentioned in the same passage, it can't be all matter of sexual sin. It's as we understand it today, you know. 
and in, in Corinthians it says that, that, that it's better to marry than to live in, to, to commit fornication. And so adultery, as we understand it today, is sexual sin between married couples of, of different families. But fornication is sexual sin with unmarried individuals. And so when the Lord says, maybe I'm giving you too much here, but he says, except for the cause of fornication, and he only gives it in Matthew, then it's going to cause us to have to dig into the cultural thinking among the Jews. Because Mark is written to Gentiles, mainly Romans. Luke is written to Gentiles. John is written to the world, showing that Christ is God. And so the crisis, the crisis, pluck it out, cut it off. All sin is damaging. Sexual sin is damaging. It destroys the wonder and the glory the spiritualness and, and I don't mean with God but the holiness and the spiritualness of consummating the marriage in the marriage bed. There's something about sex that is holy that goes beyond the physical. Sexual sin destroys that. And it doesn't mean that when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Yeah, he'll do that. But uh, there's no hurt, maybe death of a loved one, but there's no hurt that seems to be as deep and as sharp and as disappointing and rending than to be cheated on by your spouse. And it's a miracle when people can uh, overcome that. Only by God's grace. And so he says, if your right hand offends you, if this is causing you to sin, cut it off. If this internet that allows you to access pornography is causing you to sin, cut it off. Get control of it. Bring that body into subjection. If there's something that you're seeing with your eye gate, the places that you're going, and it, and it stirs your emotions, 
then you need to uh, deal with it drastically. Avoid it. The Bible in the New Testament says, flee youthful lust. And that not only applies to sexual sin, but all kinds of lust. You know, youth want about everything that comes on the television set. You need to flee that. And so he's just simply saying, listen, you got to get a hold of yourself as a Christian man or a woman. And you're going to have to say like Job did, I made a cover of my eyes that I'm not going to stare and gaze upon a woman, upon a maid. I'm not going to do that. Because to do that and allow that to happen, it's a little tiny fire that's burning in you, you know, because God has made us sexual. We are sexual. And we have sexual desires. And a little tiny fire is burning there. But when you stay there, and you begin to gaze, you pour gasoline on the fire, and put quick, you got a raging inferno going. And uh, it's hard to put out. The way to put out a little flame that's going there is when it's still a little flame. Deal with it. Cut it off. Pluck it out. Okay? Now next week, we're going to, as we've already told you, look at this saying, except for the cause of fornication. All right? Let me see. You might have two minutes to visit. Oh, you do. Exactly. Two minutes. The bathrooms are out there. All you guys need to know that. Mm.